Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And welcome back to Menkind, where we chat to a range of brilliant guests about masculinity. Some of them are men. Some of them aren't men, and some of them aren't particularly bothered either way. We're interested in men. Yes, obviously you are. And what makes them tick? Where does masculinity come from? How does it affect us? And how could we be better? We might not get a final answer, but we'll have a bloody good go at it. Won't we, Michael? Oh, we'll do our best. Well, good day. I think we decided it was last week. Michael here, and Mark is in Bristol, I'm reliably informed. I'm at my parents' house, like a sort of... um... (laughs) Oh, someone between an adult and a child, I suppose, which is how I often feel. How are you? You well? I am very well, actually. Thank you, Michael. And um, I'm at my parents' house because I'm about to perform in the West of England, not because of, for example, a midlife crisis or catastrophic event, which is <laughs> two reasons that people are sometimes, in inverted commas, at their parents' house. I, on the contrary, I've just eaten a roast a roast dinner. Talking of catastrophic events, though, last week we did accidentally uh, misattribute a quote to Dizzy Rascal. Um, we should formally apologise to Tiny Temper, who did release Pass Out. So That's right, the scumfork thing turned out to be Tiny Temper's work. Somebody, one of our um, always diligent listeners, pointed it out within minutes of the episode coming out. <laughs> And it was another reminder to us that we shouldn't try to be cooler or more relevant than we are. <laughs> and it might explain why Dizzy Rascal didn't turn up to your event in Scunthorpe. The event hasn't happened yet. Oh. So uh, it's next week, this Scunthorpe show. There's there's a possibility both Tiny and Dizzy to use their <laughs> uh, their first names will show up. But I, w- I must say there is a stronger possibility neither of the famous rappers will be there as, as it stands. I think we should quit while we're ahead. Um, but who do we have today to talk to? Well, this week we talked to... Uh, a very nice person, a very admirable person, and a very good comedian, and uh, the name of this person is Tom Mayhew. Yes, he was uh, very interesting, very fun, and I learned a lot about lions, which I wasn't expecting, but, I mean, each episode's a, a thrill, isn't it? A, a new a new learning experience for us all. Each episode is sort of a, a voyage into the dark, and on this occasion, the dark turned out to be absolutely stuffed with animal metaphors <laughs> of one kind or another, yeah. <laughs> None of us was expecting, but it did happen. No, and I think we learned about peacocks as well. But um, before we start spoiling absolutely every single thing that happened in the podcast, we'll just stop talking and like, listen to it now. Yeah, the less we talk, the better, as with most podcast intros. Bye. Well, very much as was the case last week, I remain Mark Watson. Michael Chakraverty is still himself, although behind him is a scene of increasing chaos because he's moving house soon, so there are drawers <laughs> and stuff all around him. And uh, by his own admission, he's now living like a... Um, well, I don't want to put the word vagrant into your mouth, but here we are. <laughs> yes, here I am, Michael the Vagrant. Nice to see you all. Well, not not see, hear, 
Nice to be in your ears. In a way, we're not seeing or hearing them, but what we can see in here is, well, another person, luckily, as usual, Tom <laughs> yes. Mayhew. Hi, Tom. Hello, I can hear and see both of you, but nobody else, so that's exciting. <laughs> yes, it's a funny thing about a podcast, isn't it? It's essentially like a radio show, but nobody asked us to do it <laughs> or is necessarily listening to it we believe people are listening there. i hope people are listening but as you've just gone come on my podcast i'm going to record you for an hour and then just for your personal files like no one's going to listen to it it's just going to yeah, be imagine if this was a massive vanity project and we were just archiving these conversations but the public had never <laughs> some guests check whether the episode's gone out and stuff like that but some i'm sure don't we could definitely get away with just keeping these as tom says for our own fun, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tom, how are you? Uh, and also, who are you? Let's get down to it. Who, how, who am I? Who in your own estimation are you? Yes, we know who you are and many listeners will, but um, how do you normally address the question of who you are? I am a, a human being. Good start. Good start. Yeah. I am a stand-up comedian, a writer, a trier. I try my best. I try and make the world better and make people happy that's my thing really mate would you like, don't push that envelope too hard you're right you're right i'm gonna do a show called floors at edinburgh next year i'm all in favor of the world being more full of happiness through entertainment but largely on my terms i think tom because i've made that my niche so if you can back off that would be great thanks okay fine i'm, I'm a, a former stand-up comedian who is Retired during this podcast <laughs> due to the bullying of the usually aggressive Mark Watson. Yeah, well, known. people think I'm lovely, but it's a front. I, I ruthlessly shut down any other attempts at niceness in the way Disney shut down potential clashes of interest. <laughs> Imagine that you get me on your podcast to go, all right, mate, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Can you? And, and that would then make sense that we weren't releasing them because if people ever heard these things, I'd be tarnished. <laughs> And you didn't answer how you are. How are you? I was all right until I was threatened by Mark Watson. <laughs> I, I like this. Our, our podcast is normally so warm and inclusive. It's about time we had a really fucking horrible episode, I think. <laughs> it's going to be tense. How has it become so horrible with me being like, oh, I try and be nice, and you've gone, no, this, this is going to be the horrible one. <laughs> well, we always start our episodes with asking about people's first encounters with masculinity. What do you remember your first encounter with masculinity looking like? I mean, it's kind of, and I know loads of people on the podcast do just say their dad. Well, their father figure or their lack of a father figure is kind of unavoidable that that would be your first encounter because... Well, Mark's was in a, in a school toilet, wasn't it? My answer was about another boy weighing on me because he had a poor grasp of how urinals worked, if I remember. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been odd if that story had been about my dad, actually. But... um Tom is right. Our fathers do tend to loom over us in terms of masculinity. But that story does explain a lot about you, Mark, to be honest. <laughs> I think so too, unfortunately. <laughs> so anyway, so were you going to say uh, your dad or your lack of a father figure, Tom? No, my dad. My dad didn't weigh on me, which I'm very happy about. That's good parenting advice for Excellent parenting. all the parents out there. <laughs> well, apparently it helps with jellyfish things. So to be clear, it's probably good parenting if you've been stung by jellyfish, but otherwise... In that very specific instance, yeah. Just so we weren't shaming anybody. <laughs> Some would argue it's already bad parenting if your child has been stung by a jellyfish? It probably means you've taken your eye off the ball to some extent, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, good news, darling. I've weed on the boy. Well, what's the bad news? Oh, I had to do it because he was nearly killed by jellyfish. <laughs> anyway, what's for dinner? So what was your relationship with your dad like, Tom? Or is that what you were going to say in terms of your early masculinity? Yeah, I think you do look up to your dad a lot as a kid. You know, I always wanted to be like my dad. I always thought he was... Uh, well, he's still around. He's, you know, he's still in 
in the earth, I was going to say. That makes him sound like he's not around. That makes him sound like he's definitely not around, yeah. <laughs> no, he is still... He's vertical in the earth rather than horizontal. Yes, exactly. Someone say on the earth. I mean, unless he's digging a hole in the garden, then he's in the earth. Yes. Yeah, and most of the time, your dad can't be digging a hole, surely. Nobody spends most of their life doing that. <laughs> I'd say at least 30%, you know, actually. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> he loves the garden, so. What were the things about him that you specifically wanted to emulate, do you think? Well, I always remember he, he kind of had quite a rough upbringing. He was sort of one of seven and, like, his mum left when he was three and his dad had issues with alcohol, so it was quite a tough, tricky environment to grow up in. You know, he actually sort of basically dropped out of school to get a job to help support his family when he was about 12. Mm, right. He always said to me and my brother growing up, the one thing he wanted to do was give us a better life than what he had, and that always stuck with me and was kind of a mantra that's always motivated me going forward, and it's made me think, yeah, that's what I kind of want to do with my life. I want to, you know, give my parents a better life and then have a better life for me after that, and I think that's quite common as parents, that you want to give your kids a better life. I mean, otherwise, you're not very ambitious, I suppose. Yeah, if you wanted your kids to have a worse life, then you'd have to ask some questions about that. I want to give you the shittest life. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a nice time of it, and I don't really want to pass that on to you, quite honestly. (laughs) (laughs) What about your dad did you see as kind of masculine? What qualities were there in him? Or are there? Sorry, not where. Uh. <laughs> yeah, we must emphasise once again, Tom's father is, as far as we know, still alive. Yes. <laughs> I mean, who knows when you listen to this? A nice bit of morbid tension on the podcast. <laughs> it comes out really soon, so we'll be very unlucky if that happens in the intervening period. <laughs> well, I suppose he's always had that, you know, wanting to sort of look after your family and be that person who is in charge of looking after people, of doing the right thing, of you know, standing up for them. I think that's quite a masculine kind of notion. I think a lot of dads in particular would Mm. sort of resonate with that, the idea that, you know, you want to be the one who's the head of the house or the top of the tree, whatever that tree is. Like, I guess that comes from nature because, you know, male lions and shit like that, famously, they like to be the kings of it. Oh, we've all seen that film. There's a right old fuss over who gets to be king, if I remember. Oh, I know. It's just, yeah... (laughs) I feel like there's a kind of slight contradiction in that. I agree with you. I think there's it's kind of this sense of the reliable person in the household that you can always depend on them to be in charge, as it were. But then one of your first words in the answer was nurturing. And that's sort of slightly at odds, I suppose, with that idea of somebody being the person in charge. Does that make sense? Often those qualities are divided into the mother and the father category, but you've kind of put them both into the one. Yeah, well, I think I was very lucky that both my parents kind of... I suppose they did have relatively gendered roles because Dad was, you know, technically the breadwinner, but then also um, that Mum worked as well because <laughs> we couldn't afford to, to live otherwise because yeah. people who work very working-class jobs, need both partners to work. So mum had to work as well as dad, whereas dad earned the most money growing up of the two. They both had to work. And both of them chipped in financially, both of them chipped in emotionally, both of them chipped in in terms of being the strict one occasionally. And, like, dad was always a very, um... Was? He is always... It's catching. It's weird because I'm talking about the past, but he's still in. It's quite a lot like you've killed him and it keeps slipping out under the pressure of uh, (laughs) an interview. He's definitely alive. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, what you're saying is interesting, actually. 
your dad's potential mortality aside, which is that <laughs> because of the setup in your household and the economic conditions that you grew up in, there was less opportunity to be like, mum does this, dad does that. It was more of a kind of all hands on deck situation, perhaps. Yeah, they both really had to chip in. They both had to play. Do you want to talk a bit about what your upbringing was like? Because obviously I've seen you talk about this on stage and the way that you, you know, you describe yourself as working class and your upbringing as working class, which is... Well, not unique in the comedy, but slightly unusual. And it's had an impact on who you are as a person, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, well, I mean, that does affect, you know, aspects of your masculinity, really, I suppose. Because, like, even things like when you go to school, whereas in nature, again, going back to the lions for some reason. I don't know why I'm obsessed with lions today, but we're going to go... Here we are. (laughs) But, like, isn't there something about the most impressive lion has a really good mane or something like that? Is that a thing? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't believe that. You may see one or both of us Googling lion behaviour if this goes on much longer. Or is it a peacock or something? Do you know what I mean? But like, <laughs> I don't think peacocks have manes. No, but they've got big bums or whatever they've got. Do you know what I mean? Got... <laughs> I think here we have a conversation between three city dwellers, basically. You know, peacocks or lions or some shit in the animal kingdom. Tell you what, I'm going to Google one second. I knew Michael would crack and start Googling <laughs> any time. Male lions, <laughs> impressive Mean. So if you're listening to the podcast, uh, this is just sort of a commercial break while we work out exactly what parallels to the animal kingdom we're desperately trying to nail down. Okay, so the people also ask questions are, number one, are lions with darker manes more attractive? Number two, what does it mean when a lion has a long mane? And number three, are lions with black manes stronger? This is all quite promising. And I suppose I'll have a quick go at do peacocks have big bums while we carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, lions with dark manes are healthier and stronger. In other words, they are better mates, and the link is testosterone. There you go. Well, Tom, you stumbled onto a whole world of masculinity here. That is absolutely perfect. We should get a lion on next. <laughs> yeah. Simba. Simba's a good lion. He is, he is. <laughs> Perhaps more interesting to get Scar on, though, because you never know. I mean, I don't want to spoil the film for you, Michael. Oh, no, he dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So again, yes, the larger tail indicates a more healthy peacock and a better chance for healthy offspring. So again, it's sort of linked. It's all about mating. Yeah, it's, so sure enough, everything is about sex and uh, testosterone on some level. And so <laughs> who knew? <laughs> by a roundabout route, we do come back to Tom's point. What you were saying, Tom, was that you felt marked out, presumably, as not one of the top lions stroke peacocks because of the disadvantages that you had. Well, yeah, because I do feel like that carries on into human interaction. You know, like the the top dog in the human world is often the the bloke in the most expensive suit and the nicest tie and the nicest trousers with the the shiniest car and the biggest house or whatever it is. And then when you go to school and you've not got many Pokemon cards or you live in a council house and you don't have a a really big exciting house or your your clothes are a bit baggy or whatever it is on non-uniform day that's a massive thing because that's when you come in and you go this is me this is the clothes I wear and I remember there were people who would take the piss if I was wearing like tracky bottoms or something like that they'd go you know why are you wearing them what's what's wrong with you and I was like these are just my clothes and these are my favorite clothes and it made me feel really insecure and I didn't wear my favourite trousers again for probably about 10 years or something, just because some bullies at school went like, why are you wearing them? What's wrong with you? Yeah, it's quite a thing, isn't it? I was a real opponent of school uniform when I had to wear it. Like most people, I hated having a blazer and shirt and tie and stuff. And I felt as if it was a form of enforced conditioning or whatever. You know, I was quite high-minded about it. I was like, why can't we just wear what we want? Why can't we? It's only quite a bit later someone pointed out to me this exact thing you're saying, which is that in an environment where everyone is a teenager, free choice of clothes does lead to quite a lot of unnecessary bullying and hierarchical stuff and it's true I was probably like you one time I wore a colourful multicoloured jumper 
into non-uniform day, which had been a present from my mum. And once again, that garment was more or less permanently retired after that. It's horrible, because it's the thing you're really proud of, and all it takes is a few people to take... Yeah, I thought it was a lovely jumper. Yeah, and you've probably still got it in your cupboard and never worn it since. Yeah, I can still picture it. It was sort of yellow and green. And, like, it was a statement piece, but I didn't think the statement was, hello, <laughs> I look like a bit of a dick, and my mum clearly buys my clothes. But that, that is how it was read by my peers. And you're right, those individual moments can have a pretty big effect on your psyche, but in your case, it wasn't just about my mum's questionable choices, it was about class. For you, it was about like feeling that you didn't have things that other people had. Yeah, I mean, even the thing with school uniform, you know, everyone's got the same school uniform, but there were some... There's different grades of it, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I had hand-me-down uniforms from my older brother, mm. do you know what I mean? So even then, it's the same uniform, but my blazer, it had a badge that was like half falling off and I just left it because that was what I had. And even just stuff like that, it's like... Yeah, I'm technically wearing the same as you, but you can tell my one's a bit shitty. Mm. Yeah, I'm technically wearing the same as you, but you're calling me Badge Boy. Well, they didn't, but, I mean, in a way, that's quite a nice nickname. They were mentally, mate. There's a new insecurity. Great. <laughs> Cheers, Mark. Thanks. Really good for my, my mental health for this podcast. So <laughs> yes, backdated neurosis. I can't believe, Mark, you've brought me on this podcast to bully me <laughs> for something that was, like, 15 years ago. You've gone, do you know what, Tom? I want to really insult you for how you dressed in the schoolyard. Yeah, I've made my position clear on this podcast, Tom. It might seem counterintuitive. You might think it would be higher status guests that I want to sort of take down a peg or two. But for whatever reason, I've I've scented uh, blood in the form of a fellow low status person. And I'm trying to put you back even lower into your place. (laughs) That was a double handed insult there. That was a you're low status and I hate you. That was what you gave him. I'm mauling him like the best lion in the pack or whatever lions do. (laughs) I had something to ask, but also you looked as if you did, Michael. I did, yes. Did you feel like an outcast when you were younger? I still feel like one now, definitely. Uh, Well, actually, yeah, my question was going to be very similar, which was what do you think the legacy of those days were in terms of your self-esteem as a man? That was a much better way of asking the same question, really, wasn't it? Well, it was a bit less pointed than, do you still feel like an outcast? (laughs) Yeah. So I was the bully. But this is interesting. You feel as if you've never entirely shrugged off the effects of those days, Tom? No, I definitely don't think I... I mean, firstly, because it's still a very, you know, pertinent issue in my real life. Like, you know, still, my mum and dad still don't have comfortable finances. They aren't, you know... I mean, frankly, the cost of living crisis has not been easy for them. It's still not been great. So that's still a very constant worry in my head Mm. kind of every single day of my life. And it still will always be there as long as we have a society that does celebrate things that are more expensive as being better. And that's always going to be the way in uh, the current capitalist system that the UK likes to run under is that you'll always feel a bit left out for not fitted into that because it's like, well, either you buy into the capitalist idea that more expensive things are better and you're always behind because you can't afford the best things or you don't buy into it and then you're that one weirdo who doesn't buy into it and people go oh yeah but why don't you like capitalism and I'm just like well probably because it's made me feel left out for my entire life (laughs) do you know what I mean like because it's caused the misery of millions I suppose yeah no exactly yeah yeah how has that affected your kind of relationship with your I was gonna say masculinity but kind of identity I suppose you know genuinely I was always a very um quiet shy awkward kid and probably a lot of that did come from not wanting to reveal too much of us our family too much of myself in case you'd get judged in case you'd get criticized in case uh you do a podcast where you're called badge boy 
<laughs> All the things that everyone worries about at school, basically, yeah. Yeah, I was very worried about that at school. I was like, the one thing I hope doesn't happen... Is in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, it's that thing where um, it's hard for it not to knock your confidence because it knocks your confidence when you don't have all the great things other people have and you feel a bit like an outsider. And then it knocks your confidence when you see how people from your background are viewed in the media. Like, I grew up very much in the era of the whole hugger-hoodie kind of thing where the general stereotype was, oh, if people wear a hoodie, it's because they're poor and they're probably going to stab you. And I just kind of grew up in, in that environment where also it was, you know, like the... The word chavs, that sort of era. Yeah, 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 chav culture. It was all very much punching down towards people who were poor or on benefits. And when that was your family, you know, my family have always got benefits like, since I was born. And if anything, they've gone from working class to benefit class over the past 10 years. It, it's not got better for us, you know. So to always grow up with that stigma, of course, you're going to feel left out literally just for living your life with the cards that you're dealt. You know, no one chooses to... Yeah you know, struggle financially, but then people always judge you or criticise you. I mean, you just have to look at the MPs' attitudes to it and that represents a lot of society where they do just think, oh, if you're really poor, it's because you've not worked hard enough or because you're lazy or because you're stupid. Yeah, there's an automatic contempt for the idea of poverty that is really woven deep into our society and that is mm. partly shared by some people who are poor mm. as well. That's the frightening thing. Otherwise, we wouldn't keep voting for Conservative governments, I don't think. I think that the stigma around being working class is so intense that mm. part of the problem is that it's kept alive by people. And understandably, because everyone aspires, everyone wants to go up in the world. But as a result, there is this thing, as you say, that if you haven't succeeded in doing that, you must have just not wanted it enough or tried hard enough. Or So often you hear this, even last week, that MP going, I would suggest everyone just get a higher paid job. Yeah. Just stop being poor. Just stop it. Stop being poor. Just don't be as poor. It's mad because you're like, shit, mate, I didn't think about that. Oh, no, why didn't I? Why, did, mm. why didn't I? I think our second question could be quite interesting in, in this kind of context. Were there people that you looked up to when you were younger as good examples of men? Other than your dad, I suppose. I mean, in terms of working class people I looked up to who identified as men... There wouldn't be many in, in comedy, to be honest, which is kind of strange as someone who's become a comedian. It would be musicians, it'd probably be rappers, it'd probably be people mm. from that because it feels like there's much more of a celebration of that culture in stuff like rap music. The whole idea of rappers wearing bling, it, it sort of comes from the idea of, yeah, I came from nothing, look how fucking well I'm doing. That's where it all kind of comes from. And, yeah, I mean, frankly, you'd see a lot of middle-class comedians about 15 years ago taking the piss out of them wearing bling because they wouldn't get it. And it's like, well, it is them being showy. But the point behind it is it comes from a an insecurity and it comes from a place of having not had anything and then being proud of what you've now got. Mm. You know, Rappers are often seen as quite a stereotypically masculine I was about to say community. Do rappers live in a community, like a negated community of rappers? I don't know. I don't think all of them live in one place, probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, it's often seen as quite like a brutish, masculine vibe. Some of the lyrics can be quite misogynistic or sexist and things like mm -hmm. that. It's very, yeah, brutish, I suppose. Did you see it as that? Did you identify in that way? Or did you just see it more as that kind of identification in terms of what they were talking about? Well, I never liked, you know, any of the misogynistic lyrics or the homophobia or all that mm. stuff. Again, I get where it comes from. You know, I think a lot of the misogyny comes from the idea of 
maybe feeling you were a, an outsider and now you're like, all the girls want me, right. so you're going to boast about it in a... Yeah, sort of proving yourself as well in a sense, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. so I get it, but I never really liked it. I always thought, come on, mate, you don't need that. But I would relate to when they were talking about coming from quite tough backgrounds and I wouldn't hear that in any other media. I wouldn't really see that in comedy. Again, comedy would have gone along with the benefits scrounger kind of narrative. It would have definitely gone along with the hugger hoodie stuff. It would have followed that. Mm. Things like Little Britain, you just look at some of their characters and it's designed to go, let's uh, rip the piss out of loads of people who are <laughs> really struggling. That's kind of... Benefits scrounger is a term that you've actually, as it were, reclaimed mm. for yourself in your work. And you've talked quite a lot about class, about economic injustice mm. in your radio series and on stage. An aspect of your unusualness, which you haven't talked about as much that I've seen, is your, well, sexuality. Mm-hmm. This is a sort of slightly wide segue, but um, I do want to talk about it. Can you talk a bit about your, um, well, what you're into? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try and massage the question into a sort of uh, a nicer shape. I don't like how your voice dropped there, kind of went, what you're into? No, no. I didn't like it either. I don't know why I lent into the microphone to do that. But, um, yeah, well, I guess I'm pansexual, which kind of means I just don't really mind what gender people is. You know, I've dated people who are men, who are women, who are trans men, who are non-binary, all sorts of different people in my life. I think that came from two things growing up. I think, A, it came from my upbringing. I was always raised with love, sort of, to treat people with kindness and with respect. And so in my head, I always just thought, okay, cool, just be nice to everyone, that's fine. And then I was also raised Christian, and I'm not Christian anymore, but I always really took in the value of, like, love thy neighbour, of kind of, you know, treat everyone as equal with respect, with kindness, with decency. Someone would say you've taken loving thy neighbour to an extreme. Uh... Well, you know... (laughs) Oh, my phone's going off, literally. That'd be my neighbour phoning off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tom, you were meant to be here. Yeah, exactly. Jesus, you know, I took it as a challenge, really, pretty much. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. 
So interesting, you think that the Christian and just the humanitarian values that you were raised with gave you a sort of appreciation for humanity across the board, which means that sex-wise or love-wise or whatever, you don't perhaps differentiate between binary groups in the way that other people do instinctively? Well, um, I guess I want to be careful because it's not just that. It's also just what I'm naturally attracted to. Do you know what I mean? It's not... Absolutely, yeah. I almost feel like it's partly nature is that I don't mind what someone identifies as, what gender they are, but it's also partly nurture that helped me reach that conclusion when I was about 20 because there were aspects of Christianity that did mean when I was about 13 or 14, I would be attracted to a man and I'd think it was the devil possessing me and I'd really hate myself so that was really tough but then (laughs) literally as I say in my stand-up like you know that was when I was about 14 but then when I was 16 my pastor at church actually left his wife for a man so um, that made it a lot easier to deal with. That's a game changer. I was just like well if he can do it do you know what I mean like (laughs) (laughs) it opens the door. Yeah. And Jesus said unto them go out and have sex with absolutely anyone you're on. I think that's a direct quote from the bible I didn't know you were so I know almost all the Bible by heart, yeah. There's some spicy stuff, it's just you have to dig in a bit. So as long as you remember, you were having feelings about men, women, or people of all sorts of um, labels or no labels, but without, at some point, you developed the tools to acknowledge that more. Yeah, well, I'm really lucky. I'm, I think I'm basically the same age as Michael, and I think we come from a generation where things like Tumblr or Twitter or whatever, there's all these terms and phrases and, you know, it would have just been a time when I was about probably 19 or 20 and just reading about different identities and it's that thing a lot of people do say nowadays, but you just read the description for, like, pansexuality and I was like, oh, shit, that's me. I'm not broken. That's how I see the world and it's fine because... That's the thing, it's it's on the internet, so it must be fine. I mean, not as mm. not as flippantly as that, but do you know what I mean? It was that real thing where you just go, oh, God, yeah, I'm, I'm allowed to do that. I'm not... Yeah, there's a lot of people like you out there. There's a bit of a broader community out there, I suppose, of people who identify in the same way. And it's lovely on the internet when you meet that kind of community of people. Mm. What was the response like when you kind of started to publicly identify as pansexual to the world? Uh, I mean, most people were all right with it, really. That's nice to hear. Well, it's that thing that despite the fact my parents are both Christian, they both always would just be like, we'd love you no matter what. And it was quite nerve-wracking, I guess, coming out to Dad, because he's a bloke from the 60s and he's got... Growing up, I would have seen him use a lot of phrases that would have come from that time. Like, he would have seen Will Young on telly and went, oh, that guy's a puff, for example. Mm. Do you know what Mm. I mean? He would have had a lot of those attitudes or phrases or terminology, whatever you call it. So I was a bit worried. Yeah, they were just deep-rooted into the culture. This is when he was still alive, of course, your dad. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Rest in peace. (laughs) I meant Will Young there for a second. I was like, oh, my God. But I think Will Young, as far as I'm aware, at time of recording, is also still alive. Who else do you want to kill off? Gareth Gates? Should we go through everyone? Like... Everyone that's ever been on a singing show. So how did your dad respond, in fact, presumably with love? Yeah, I was really quite nervous about it because growing up, seeing him kind of say things that were homophobic about someone on telly or whatever, so you don't really know how someone's going to react. But when I came out to him, he just went, oh, yeah, that's fine, you know, you just love whoever you want to love, that's absolutely fine. And that was it. That's lovely. Literally, that was it, and it was Mm. absolutely fine and perfect. And, you know, he doesn't say things that are homophobic anymore, I think, because... um, He's learned and grown like we all do. Do you know what I mean? And I do think there's this thing in society nowadays where some people do think, oh, someone 
tweeted something homophobic when they were 16, so they must be a raging homophobe. And it's like, well, no, everyone could learn or grow. Like yeah. my dad, when he was 40, would call Will Young a puff, and now he'll go to, you know, my cousin's lesbian wedding and he loves her and he loves me and he is perfectly on board with all that stuff. He's fine with trans people. Do you know what I mean? So it's just like sometimes people use terminology of the time but it's not always indicative of i mean i did of course and if they don't have first-hand experience of meeting like yeah having someone very close to you who's gay or trans or bi or any of it mm. then there's a test of whether your humanity is actually intact isn't it because a large number of people using those sort of potentially hurtful phrases don't intend any harm to anyone yeah. it's just they're only talking about people in the abstract and then when you're in the family mm. it isn't abstract anymore i think a lot of it is that but there's also an element like i use that language about other people i use homophobic mm. phrases because it was just a way of separating from who i actually was as a human being it's quite lovely to hear about your dad as well though because there's lots of these stereotypes of working class people as being i don't know rigid in mm. their values and things like mm. that and it's really lovely to hear that that's not the case and it's lovely to hear positive stories from that kind of community where people mm. hear actually Everybody has a capacity for change, no matter who they are, no matter what background they're from. And that's really lovely. Especially there's a generation gap between me and YouTube, essentially. And even my age, people didn't have Tumblr. There was no fuck yeah pansexuality available to me to sort of 28. So even I would say I grew up without the resources to understand these communities were all out there. So then let alone your dad, my dad, you know, most people haven't had the benefits of education that the internet give us. And so there is an element of, each generation having to educate the one before it, basically. Yeah, and the one before it being open to listening. Yeah, of course, it's a two-way thing. Someone said to me years ago, you bring your parents up in the end. Oh, that's wise. That's nice. Yeah, I can't remember who, which means that I'm claiming it for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Once you become the central generation in a world, so anywhere between your 20s and 40s, then you do have responsibility, not just to set an example to younger people, but older people, I think, Mm. and will have a responsibility to listen to them when we're the old people which I nearly am. (laughs) Tom, who do you look up to now? I mean, generally, one of the people when I was thinking this, even though it was changed during this recording, was Mark Watson. The number of times we've ironically said present company accepted and now finally it's happened this is your moment mark soak it in but no genuinely i think um both as someone i looked up to as a teenager and now because as a teenager as a very kind of awkward shy not very good at being confident human being like i didn't really see anyone like that in comedy because a lot of it was alpha and macho and really in your face and then i watched an episode of mock the week where this scrawny man comes on excuse me and he <laughs> get your own back Tom get him and he tells a lovely story about being mugged and I just remember going like oh god someone who is like me and isn't the most assertive the most cocky the most in your face person can reach like the top of comedy and, and that was really kind of inspiring and really good to see that example because even now I think most comedians do lean towards being very alpha very confident I do think Mark's, I say persona, but I think it's just how you are and you just bring it on stage. And I think that is actually very kind of unique in comedy. And I think for a lot of people who have anxiety or anxious or struggle with communicating with people, whatever it is, I think for a lot of people who just see you existing as a comedian, it genuinely would be inspiring and it would genuinely make people go, yeah, I can do something like that because no one else is doing that. This has been a lovely couple of minutes and I'm in the business of trying to get better at taking praise and not automatically 
deflect it or push it away. So I'm just going to say thank you, Tom, and we'll move on. Oh, I was waiting for you to puncture it. I was waiting for you to be like, well, I'm shit, really. <laughs> I know you were. I could see your face anticipating that. And I do understand that I'd like to be better at not always doing that as a reflex. So there you go. Yeah, that was lovely. That was really nice. And thank you for saying that, Tom. I think it is lovely to see people in the spotlight, whether they're Mark or whether they're not. But let's focus on me. <laughs> You can go too far the other way, Mark. (laughs) But also, I do think Mark's also, you know, he's a good example of someone who's not just kind of a bit of an anxious man, but also a man who is open to changing, to evolving, to not being that. You know, so many comedians who seem to reach their 40s and just go straight on GB News and they shout about (laughs) how... I've not been asked. I know, but I mean, I think there's a reason you've not been asked, Mark. <laughs> they get hundreds of Ofcom complaints going, why is this person so reasonable? Take him off air. Why is this person stating two sides of a case? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I am, as we say, into my 40s, so if this is a persona, it's a very well-maintained one. It's starting to look like it's my actual personality. <laughs> the power of change, I think, is one of the most important things and actually leads very, very nicely into our final question, which is about building a man from scratch what qualities would you build into that person by the way michael i agree that was very nice link but also thank you two or three times now i've noticed you say which leads very nicely to our final question i think if you say that with enough confidence it's always true basically so listeners listen out for (laughs) next time it doesn't lead quite nicely in but i say it anyway (laughs) so you were just talking about fridges and that leads beautifully onto our final question (laughs) some would say men are cool what would you think would make a cool man (laughs) ideally if they're half fridge that's what i've got on my builder bear (laughs) can you actually get a little a mark and michael builder bears that everyone can buy i think that'd be adorable so this is a nice nod to vintage mankind talk now this feels almost nostalgic because yeah we did the build a bear thing for at least the first half of our and then we took an opposite stance didn't we we got quite frustrated and cross yeah for a while we tried to cozy up to them in the hope of i don't know sponsorship or some cute tie-in like tom mentioned then we tried playing hard to get basically and deliberately but it's almost as if they're still not aware of us the build a bear guys (laughs) but if we had bears i like to think they'd have magnificent dark manes and really big peacock tails just to show off oh a bear that was a hybrid of us two would be a tremendous creature yeah <laughs> and it would probably sell surprisingly well. <laughs> There'd definitely be about 20 people who would buy one immediately. Yeah, they're the same people that have unicorn mugs. <laughs> anyway, Tom, sorry, this is a question for you. That does lead quite nicely into the question it does. About, um, <laughs> about the three qualities that you were building to a man. I mean, literally, I'm waiting for you one episode to go. Today's uh, guest is the CEO of Builder Bear, and it's just going to be <laughs> a whole episode of going, Why are you avoiding us? <laughs> <laughs> well, my three things. I think the first thing, it's quite a broad term, but I think it's good to have it as a broad term, is humanity. Mm. Like the idea of... As in not an animal. You'd like it to be a person. Yeah. I mean, ideally, every human should have humanity. Do you know what I mean? But <laughs> some of them don't. It's very strange. To... It is harder to find than you would think sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I went for humanity, actually, in my answer to this, because of how many things come under it. Yeah, yeah. I think it does encapsulate the idea of love your neighbour, not in a sexual way, in a (laughs) friendly seeing every other human as your equal. Yeah, it's one of the cornerstones of Christian faith, which we do need to hang on to, even in a more secular world, I think. You know, I just find it mad that you wouldn't. You know, all these things, Mm. like things we talked about earlier, like the idea of judging someone on whether it's their clothes or whether it's who they're dating or what colour their mane is or whatever. Like, I just find it mad that we still do this as humans it's just someone like you it's just a skeleton with some flesh on it do you know what i mean it's it's just absolutely i am judging you using the word flesh isn't that horrible <laughs> oh i liked a skeleton with some flesh on but michael does as we know have 
unpredictable aversions to certain words. I agree with the sentiment, just to be clear. No, fuck you, Michael. <laughs> if you ever get into Wordle, Michael, you, this is going to be an Achilles heel for you. You have to be able to embrace five-letter words whether you like them or not. And that could be a title of episode, Fuck You, Michael. There we are. <laughs> yeah, let's go for that. So humanity, then. Uh, the second thing is not Michael now. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Just get the essence of Michael and get, like, the anti that. Do you know what I mean? Just the opposite of it. <laughs> so humanity, not Michael, and B-Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah, generally my ones were humanity. My second one was struggle. Because mm. I think if someone has been through something, it helps them have empathy and it helps them have perspective. It helps them go, oh, I've been through a lot of shit and it's made me who I am today. I feel like a lot of problems with a lot of people who are very powerful, it comes from the fact it feels like they've never had that struggle. So they don't have that empathy and that yeah. understanding. And I think if everyone had that, like, I'm not saying let's put everyone down the mines for the first five years of their life. Or... Yeah, don't tread on the bear when it's still on the factory floor. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But you'd build in a capacity for struggle because of what it does long-term for a person. Well, and an understanding of how that feels like, because I think that would really teach empathy so you wouldn't have the people who just come back with, oh, just get a better job or just mm. eat less or budget less. or just. Mm. There's so many people who have these such simple comebacks and they don't even think about it in an in-depth way and i think it's because they've never been through that feeling so they don't mm. relate to it so they just fall it off it's a lovely quality yeah it's a new one for us but it's a really nice one it is yeah and we don't often have that there should be a list of all of these somewhere someone will do us a spreadsheet surely someone will do us a list i'm sure <laughs> well yeah what is the most popular builder bear from the mankind podcast uh, so this is an official challenge stroke request maybe when we get to the 50th episode which is soon someone could do us like a a super chart of all of the qualities. Oh, that's a good idea, yeah. Uh, and your last one, Tom? And what would your final quality be? My final quality would quite simply be love. Oh, that's great. I think both the experience of feeling love, the capacity to love, the means of expressing that love, I think all of those are so important in society nowadays. And I think it's always just a bit sad when you meet people who you feel like, you know, either they don't know how to express their love or they've not been loved. And I think if everyone was loved a bit more and had a bit more love in their hearts, we'd all uh, be in a better place. But I'm sounding a bit John Lennon at the moment, so... Yeah, that's because sometimes these things are hard to express without sounding slightly twee, and yet they're true. In fact, I sort of went, oh, when you said love, but I didn't mean it to sound uh, kind of mawkish or like I was watching a cutesy film. I just genuinely, to hear people use the word love with that sort of confidence and transparency makes me happy. And for the exact reasons you've said, we all need more of it. Well, also, I think that's part of the beauty of this podcast is because there's been decades and decades of men who had partly they couldn't express themselves emotionally, but also they were taught not to. They were taught that's not how you should be as a man. They were taught as a man... You should be solid as a rock, who doesn't break down, who's always straight-faced, you never cry, you're never emotional. We were always taught to be that way. And I feel like if we had more things where people went, it's all right for you to tell someone you love them, whether it's your brother, your your mum, your dad, or whether it's your mate. And I just think that would make things a lot better for everyone. I'm starting to think I do like you after all, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely sentiment. Thank you so much for joining us, Tom. Thank you for sharing so much. You've got another series of the radio show coming out soon that's right isn't it yes the second series of tom mayhew is benefit scum which is what i called it basically because i like hearing the posh radio four announcers say it and feel a bit awkward when they say it it's, it's... and now tom mayhew is benefit scum <laughs> <laughs> well the first guy who did it he really enjoyed it he went tom mayhew is benefit scum like that and i was like yeah. wow this guy 
He's been practising that. This is a lot better than most of the show titles this guy gets to read out, yeah. <laughs> when can people find that? Is that Radio 4, BBC Sounds? Uh, yeah, Radio 4 in July. Great. And the previous series will be out there still, won't it? On... Yeah, it's either on Sounds or it's on my YouTube channel if they've taken it down. So they're all there and Brilliant. please do listen. I mean, it's the thing where, you know, lots of my stand-up does effectively touch on these similar topics. Do you know what I mean? I feel like... And that's also a good thing as well, that I think a lot of people are talking about this stuff in their work because, yeah, it can only help stuff get better. Yeah, I think a large constituency of people who listen to this would enjoy your work, Tom, so do... Oh, bless you. ...do look at it. And you're on Twitter as well, of course. And, and where do people find you online, yeah? I am on Twitter. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on Instagram. You sound like us. I don't think I'm still on Bebo. I don't know, like, just... <laughs> Worth a go. <laughs> Is it at Tom Mayhew? On Bebo, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, no, it's, it's at Tom Mayhew on Twitter. And also I'm doing Edinburgh this summer, which I... You're doing the live show. Let's plug that as well. Yes. Look at this. Not often yeah. someone turns it on Ooh. to helping us out at the end. <laughs> Come to Edinburgh, see the Menkind live show. And see Tom, definitely. I'll be seeing it. <laughs> you can see me as well, but mainly Menkind live at the Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> We can make a day of it. Oh, you've been a very well-behaved guest indeed, Tom. <laughs> I've heard there's going to be a lion as a guest in Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out. Thanks so much, Tom. We'll see you soon. That's all right. Thanks for having me. See you in Edinburgh probably, Tom. Well, there we are. That was Tom Mayhew. I'm going to tell them, actually, Michael. Michael has just off-air, as it were, um, said <laughs> Mark is going to innie the outie, as in introduce the outro. And... Um, I sort of, I tend to shoot that kind of terminology down, but I just want you to know as listeners how often you were spared <laughs> phrases like in the I shouldn't be telling you because probably there'll be a lobby to keep stuff like that in now and Michael will be vindicated. I do feel like both Mark and Coop uh, both are vehemently against the innie and the outie and it feels like that's just kind of fed me. It's, it's the first ick really that I think we discovered from you really, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose actually that was a, that was a proto-ick before I knew... <laughs> what icks were, I was feeling them on a visceral level for that specific. And I, I can't deny, I think it is to do with the, um, I'm going to at least say the words, innie and outie uh, belly button um, phenomenon, which I, I I don't like them as body parts. And I also really hate the phrase belly button. I don't even like the word belly. I'm really digging myself into further and further icks here. I'm in, I'm in an ick hole. <laughs> <laughs> I've often thought of you as an ick hole. Um, but I, I feel like we should just embrace the innie and embrace the outie. And we do find ourselves mid-outie. So we should just go with it, really, Mark. Yes, I'm going to take the opportunity to... Um, well, a bit different this week, actually. I'm going to advertise a couple of um, radio shows, which Impatient, that is, uh, me and Coop and some talented people have made, um, which are out this week. So there's... Well, you know about this, Michael. There's some... Um, something called the 13 Million Club, which is an all-disabled radio show that I made quite a bit of noise about when we were recording it. Um, I mean, on Twitter. I, I was very quiet when we were recording it, otherwise we'd have had to do it again. Um, that is, um, that's on Radio 4 on Thursday, and it's hosted by, well, your friend of mine, Michael, Bryony, from, also from Bake Off. Bizarre to think there were actually other contestants that can be memorable other than myself, but Bryony, I think can claim that moniker. She's very funny, actually. She's lovely. She's lovely, but it is just you and her that have ever made any impression <laughs> upon the public. <laughs> uh, the 30 Million Club goes live on the 2nd of June, is that right? The first day of the Jubilee weekend. On the 2nd of June, which you insist on uh, referring to as the, the first day of the Jubilee weekend, yes, although some of us will be working as usual and not eating well, scones. Same. Someone on Twitter called it the Jubilee weekend, which I quite enjoyed. I quite like that. I can imagine you liking that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, here in my parents' house, there's a flyer 
which someone has, I think it's fair to say, fairly amateurishly made for a local event, and they've missed the final E off, so it says Queen's Jubile, which isn't as good. <laughs> but on the final day of the Queen's Jubile weekend, the 5th of June, there is previous guest Jen Brister's show. Yes, Jen made with us um, an ingenious one-off, well, one-off so far radio show about um, her love of, which we, I don't think we really talked about this on the podcast, but swimming in, you know, wild swimming, swimming in the ocean, this sort of nonsense. Um, I say nonsense, <laughs> this kind of mindfulness-promoting uh, stimulating activity. At least that's what, that's the case that she makes, um, and it's really good. Mental health, what a wimp! <laughs> oh, I just, I just, um, I find it hard to connect to the idea of being able to. I, I think I'm just envious of someone that can swim in the freezing cold water. But anyway, Jen can. She's made a radio show about it, and uh, Cooper's produced it, and it really is very good. And that is on Sunday, I think, to mark the sort of petering out of the jubile festivities. So um, <laughs> The jubbly jubile. Yes. <laughs> it's a jubile sandwich, I suppose. Um, no, the opposite. And um, yes, I can't say, I can't confirm or deny that the Queen herself, Her Majesty herself specifically um, commissioned this, but uh, her special weekend is bookended by Radio 4 shows by Impatient. So there you go. I imagine she'll be catching up on Mankind in between. Well, she's got nearly 50 episodes um, to listen to, and actually Monday is the 50th, which is over 50 years old. Look at that. Will anything interesting happen for the 50th episode? We will have to wait and see. We will have to wait and see. So while you wait and see, enjoy your Jubile weekend with both Bryony and Jen, and we'll see you in a week. Bye. Happy Jubilee. Jubile. (laughs) Happy Jubilee. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you 